right, everybody, welcome back to Albark No Dice, the Fundamentals Tabletop Talk Show. My guest this week is Dylan Green from Silver Lantern Games. He's a tabletop RPG author whose most whose upcoming project is Fate of the Skies Unbound is a Cloud Runner get it is a cloud runner fate of the skies a uh rpg using the fate system uh coming to kickstarter later this year um he's done some work within the fate system with sandfare and shadow over in a uh, and i'm really excited to talk to you about it so thanks for coming on the show dylan hi um thank you so much for having me so before we get to uh, Fate of the Skies. I want to talk a little bit about um, your experience with RPGs, and I wonder what what got you into the hobby of of tabletop. You know, what, what, what did it all start for you? I started. I had some kind of flirtations with three point five, but I didn't really get a campaign going until I'm blanking on the exact year but it was kind of in the 2013-2014 range um where i had my first 3.5 campaign and then over time i thought i really like dming um i'm a very kind of like a very creative person and dming is just kind of a natural fit for me and it's it's very useful because now, as I've grown, it's it's kind of my role as the forever GM um, as I've advanced throughout, you know, I started with 3.5, went to fifth edition, and then I started branching out into other systems. And eventually I found and that became kind of one of my most, um, well, it was one of my favorite systems. It's very much a system that was almost tailor-made for someone with my exact kind of background skill set and preferences that I would have. I'm a very narrative person. My degree is in English. I like um, kind of studying narrative, asking questions about storytelling and the role it has for human beings. Um, I think a lot about not just um, not just kind of plots, but also themes and, you know, archetypes, etc. I think a lot about um, what makes us, you know, storytellers, you know, and how do, what do we learn from stories? And I think that was just something that, you know, made fate a natural fit for me. Interesting. So how long have you been playing with the fate system? So, I'm thinking it has been at least three or four years since I think 2017 around that time period. I'm just trying to kind of rack my brain for an exact date again, but it, yeah, it's, it was 2016, 2017 around that time period. Um, And a lot of that came from just kind of, I had been running fifth edition for quite some time and I was looking for something new and 
my local game store suggested fate and it was a great suggestion. And I'm glad that, you know, I got to, um, to try that system and I had a lot of fun with it. So, yeah. So, uh, when did you make, when did you make the choice? When did you take the dive into designing your own stuff? So cloud runner has been kind of, I started it off actually in high school. Um, but I was a very naive kid who didn't understand things like project scope or that you just can't make a game because I, I had the ambition of making an MMO and it wasn't steampunk like it is now. It was like a space opera. And of course I didn't understand that. Like, no, you have to have a, you know, a full team behind you on this with a lot of money. You can't just make that all on your own. And I was also doing like computer game stuff in the background, like I was learning about programming and um, talking to like, I, I still am good friends with um, one of my um, high school C++ classmates. He and I are like the best of pals and we kind of talked about it over time. And every single time I kind of tried to like, I, I eventually sort of got wind of like, okay, well, if you want to produce something, you have to to think about it in terms of your scope you have to think about it you know what can you do and what's most important and my vision for it eventually got smaller and smaller in terms of like I'm no longer you know thinking of something that's completely infeasible and over time cloud runner became a novel and you know and I tried writing it <laughs> against space opera mm-hmm. um but the novel was just really boring (laughs) and I I'm not saying this to like bash myself as a writer because I think it's definitely more exciting now but I I remember thinking space is just cold and lonely and the tech is just not interesting to read about and I was looking back and saying maybe I need to change genre and I eventually you know went back and looked at this movie I saw, which was the mysterious geographic explorations of Jasper Morello. And I also kind of just popped in skies of Arcadia and um, I said, Oh, let's make it steampunk. Um, You know, everyone's floating on sky islands, you know, airships are everywhere. That way I don't have to kind of have this entire universe. You know, I can focus on a world. that's a little smaller and a little bit easier to comprehend and digest and that was exactly what the project needed um it became for a while you know i i was doing another novel for it another run of the novel and eventually i did get to like the halfway point but i i thought well a good world building practice would be to run a tabletop game off of it i'll just run cloud runner once I'll never touch it again, probably, but hey, it'll be good for world building. So what actually happens is that not only does the game do really well in terms of my friend group, it, you know, it fills up. I get um, like eight people coming to a game. Wow. It, it's ridiculous. Um, and it completely overtakes the novel. I put the novel on the back burner and I start like, you know, I started writing other content to kind of get used to the production process. Mm-hmm. But in the back of my mind, it was always like, let's, I'm building towards Cloud Runner, building towards this really awesome, you know, steampunk fantasy RPG that um, 
that was always something on my mind. So how did you decide to make the change when it comes to the setting from from what you originally uh, envisioned for the property to this this aerial steampunk theme? Well, I remember drafting up a copy of um, original you know, version of it and just reading it aloud and thinking that like there was a kind of a humbling moment of saying like, I'm looking at this and I know that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, there are certain things that bother me about it. It's very cold. It's not like, it's not a fun read. It, it could be interesting in its own way. But it was something like, it just didn't feel adventurous or, and and that was kind of what I was looking for is like, I want to, you know, I want to feel like there's adventure. I want there to feel like there's, you know, stuff is happening. And instead what ended up, I, I saw a lot of was just kind of, you know, it was trudging across the galaxy which I'm sure could be fun in its own way, but it was it was actually pretty dark. It was a pretty dark story and not in a way that I think benefited it. I think it was um, because a lot of it focused on um, the O'Neiro family who are in this version of the Cl- of Cloud Runner. They're the Rayburns now, mm-hmm. but they were they again, it was just it was just kind of looking at it and saying, this is just not that interesting to read what they're doing. And they, because basically in the original one, they were cracking open planets for resources. But again, it was, and I'm sure that you could make that interesting, but to me, I just felt like this wasn't, this wasn't hitting the right notes. It felt like kind of standard sci-fi fare. And I said, well, I want adventure. I want kind of a little bit of enthusiasm here. And no piece of media has done that in a way that Skies of Arcadia did. And I will point out that Skies of Arcadia is kind of the biggest influence of all. And I, and I said, I want to do something that makes me feel that kind of sense of hope and, you know, adventure that Skies of Arcadia did. Um, Especially since at that time I was going to kind of college and just, the system being this horrible, you know, meat grinder where like you just you just get chewed up and spit out in terms of like, you know, us getting overloaded with assignments and all of this pressure. And, you know, I kind of drifted off into kind of my own little world in the middle of class thinking about how like, wouldn't it be great if I were on an airship and flying around the sky? And that's when cloud runner became a priority for me that's that's very interesting it's very cool that you've had this so much of this you know in your head for so long um and that you're you're finally realizing it um i know you've you've released uh one sort of teaser with the explorer's guide to escadus um Now, and then it's got us. So, I guess what I want to—I guess what I want to ask uh, first of all is, like, can you give me a give the give the listeners and, and myself a little bit? You know, I've read through the teaser you've got here a little bit. Uh, you know, the what the world of 
Cloud Runner is is like. Other than you know, you're giving us a deal with like it's a steampunk and 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 skyship kind of world. Yeah. Um. So, I am I envision Escatus as the way that I always describe it is it's Tolkien-esque world that advances to the steam era. It is, you know, and I think about the consequences of steam tech and what that has for like the economy also, you know, for war, especially when you're introducing, you know, like um, you have this form of, of steam technology that can do things that previously were the kind of the dominion of um, in, in this universe, they're known as storm callers who could kind of do elemental magic, but that was a very laborious time and quite frankly, dangerous form of, you know, of labor, you know, where you do things like you'd, you'd have, you know, like a thunder caller would do things like, you know, um, knock down trees with a bolt of lightning or, um, you know, a fire caller would kind of, you know, have a fireball going and to help like a traveler through at night, you know, the sort of utility magic and eventually though, when steam tech comes along, a whole bunch of powerful magic users um, known as the Sumerki cabal. They start thinking, well, we've got to deal with this because otherwise we're going to be, you know, cast out from society. And that starts war and the eventually it turns out that the that the steam tech wins but in the process the cabal rips open tears in the fabric of the ether so everyone kind of has to flee the surface and live on the sky islands above mm-hmm. and shortly after that um the great tempest appears and everyone loses contact with the surface so and that's been going on for about 600 years oh wow so mad so magic is 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 evident in this world right it sounds like yeah it is there and there are still storm callers around but it's nowhere near as prevalent as it used to be it is something that you might see on occasion but it's also not very like just because of what happened during the war and the results of the war mm-hmm. that it it's become something that you know most people don't you know they don't take take up you know magic and they certainly don't pass it on to anyone else and it's kind of acknowledged at least for the time being that um that it's it the the era of magic is over and you know steam tech has kind of come in now there's kind of a big exception to this is that there's one civilization that mastered channeling etheric energy into kind of circuitry and that is the the civilization of dead heaven and that's kind of where what a lot of people are trying to figure out is like how do they do this they're trying to replicate the tech but yeah that's the ether tech that they use is kind of the holy grail of of that of kind of what the explorers are trying to do. Okay. And then that 
the, the the explorer the explorers that's that's what an adventurer is in in this you're playing an explorer yes what, what so what kinds of what kinds of explorers can 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 someone be you know i know you've got some 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 ideas in in the sample book but you know what what kinds of what kinds of people are open to players so there is no class system mm-hmm. in cloud runner um but you can kind of see some archetypes emerge. You will have kind of these sort of soldier characters who are, you know, basically either melee or ranged combat. That's what their specialty is. You'll, you'll get engineers, you know, grease monkeys who are, you know, focused on either piloting or fixing machines. And you'll also get kind of the socialites who are your, you know, your face characters. There's, I'm thinking of some other interesting builds that I've seen in game one. Um, and one of them we have, um, we have a musician who actually has kind of a guitar that can actually send out massive shock waves and can, can be used as a weapon, which is pretty fun. Yeah. We've also, we've also got some ex sky pirates. Um, you gotta have them. Yeah. <laughs> and clackers. Um, which are basically, you know, like steampunk hackers. Okay. And you can kind of see some, again, it's not, it's not solidified, but you can kind of see these things emerge and kind of combinations that play out. Yeah. Scholars too. That's actually a pretty important one. Um, You can, you'll often have like scholars. So it, it does kind of remind me of Jasper Morello, uh, the mysterious ge- geographic explorations of Jasper Morello, where kind of you have similar archetypes, including the scholar, um, you know, navigators, pilots, um, and those are kind of the broadest of category. Okay, and I like uh, I like the the personal gadgets. That seems like that's a really interesting. Um, part of character building, I think, that you've incorporated into this. Yes, um, it's why would I make a steampunk RPG without personal gadgets? <laughs> um, it's gotta you gotta have something fun like that. Um, personal gadgets also, I think a lot about investment, um, player investment. And there are two forms I kind of think of player investment in Cloud Runner. The first one, obviously, is your gadget. The second one, we'll we'll get to that because you you know which one that is. But um, but I think about one of the things that I really like about when I when I play Cloud Runner is just how everyone gets super excited when it's like time for them to you know pick up and you know make their personal gadget. They get so invested in it where it's like, Oh, I want a, I want kind of like a digital, you know, almost like a pit boy from fallout where they're like, yeah, I want this, you know, this calm device that I can use. And others are like, I want this modified revolver or um, the um, guitar was actually one with like a little built-in helper automaton. You know, that was, that was a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great way to really get engaged um, and really customize your character while still keeping that 
without being overly limiting in the way that you don't want in the fate system. You know, being classless, it lets you open your character up to be a lot more storytelling heavy. Yeah. I I feel like especially in in a setting like this, because I debated whether or not I do strict classes and I decided against it just because I feel like in, in a setting like this, there's so many different variations and even the same archetype could have such different granular details that I felt like it, it would be, it would be better to just have that and kind of build the archetype out of your skill selection mm-hmm. as opposed to the other way around. Now, I know you um, have incorporated, again, an obvious thing in this setting and I, I with airship combat, I'm wondering what, how, what, what, how you constructed that, and what you wanted the the that combat to feel like for players. So, admittedly, and, and here we go the 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 second part of investment, <laughs> um, which is the airship. Having, and this is something that I've learned: having a shared resource that every player in the group is responsible for is actually a great way of deepening investment and not just investment in their character, but investment in the group as a whole. And you will see this with other games that I produce where the idea is, is that there's one thing that all the players congregate around, whether or not that be like um, there's, there's one that's kind of a more traditional fantasy called silver glow that I'm writing. And it's a castle that you get. Um, then there's my my genre pioneering clown punk RPG punchline where your where your big top is super important, which is kind of your faction. Um, and then there's Pickaxe, which is a Minecraft like game. And there's kind of this investment in the world itself. You are literally rebuilding the world, and. That's kind of one thing I've noticed is that a lot of games can get people invested in their characters individually, but I think it takes a little bit extra to get them invested in everyone else. So I kind of figure the shared thing, the the thing that you put in front of your players and say, this is this is important. You're going to need this to survive in this world or get around, or maybe it's just something that, that everyone puts into that actually does a lot to kind of deepen that investment and with cloud runner obviously i thought well airship combat um it's a modified version of um sales full of stars which got open licensed okay and it does it does what i what i needed to do which was kind of like a quick kind of a quick setup and it allows me to kind of make some interesting maneuvers without being a little bit too, because I played games before where there's kind of this, um, I guess I would call it kind of like gears grinding when, you know, okay, let's set up the vehicular combat section. And um, to credit, you know, fate, one of the reasons why, because I have debated, it's like, what if I ported Cloud Runner to other systems? But no system has really beat fate. And again, this is my opinion. Um, no system has beat fate in the way that I can kind of very seamlessly go from ship level combat to 
you know, on deck, on the ground, you know, it's, it's such a seamless transition to, you know, we're walking around, we're on the ship, we're fighting on the deck, you know, that fluidity that really works for the game. And it, I remember just recently when I was running Pillar of Solitude, we had a great moment where, you know, we kind of switched between, you know, firing shots off at a ship. And then one of my players actually loaded themselves into a cannon, shot themselves out of a cannon, Mm -hmm. out of that cannon, and used a grappling hook to grab the flare that the enemy ship shot uh, up and landed on the other ship and in this wonderful display of athleticism managed to, you know, com- go off completely unscathed and then drop the flare at the last second <laughs> and set the ship on fire. Oh boy. It was such a great, it was such a great moment. And I, and I love how I'm able to create moments like this. Um, I also, I also think a lot about, um, you know, the world building implications of the airship and making everything in the sky of how, you know, you would go to like a trading post where ships would congregate and it would be normal for like a restaurant or something like that to just come into town literally on a ship and just sit down for like a week and then go, you know, it's, it makes me ask interesting questions about like, what would you do if the world was literally that mobile and that became a huge part of the design process in terms of not just its not just its gameplay, but also narrative implications. And the cool thing is, is I can, you know, it's also really easy for me to say, like, okay, there's a ship that does this. That's something fun about um, you know, when when uh, an RPG is really fun or really interesting is when it sets up a a, a world that plays with i guess it 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 plays with the conventions that it set up you know like it's saying Mm -hmm. you know here's a steampunk world where we can fly or we can do other stuff and it's fun to have it that be just like a playground for adventures and stuff but um figure you know throwing different scenarios into that and seeing how they'd be affected by it and having players consider how they might think about it differently is it's really a, a fun way to get uh increase that as you say that engagement um with their characters and with the world oh yeah like i totally agree it's asking questions about you know what does it mean when the entire world is kind of built around this structure and um obviously some games don't really address that some games are kind of more like, you know, like the, obviously the, the, the airship is this steampunk staple, but cloud runner kind of, because it's so integral, I'm kind of forced to ask these questions of, I mean, technically not forced, but you know, it, it invites those questions to, to say, what can I do with this kind of setup? And Thinking about um, my inspiration comes from all over. And one of the things that I was thinking of of is was this mock-up video that showed like it was that Amazon drone video of like this huge Zeppelin and, and 
you know, all of these drones came spilling out. And I thought this, this is such an incredible image. Of course, you know, it's very sinister just by the fact that it's an Amazon <laughs> Zeppelin. But, you know, it it was I thought about, you know, what would it do for logistics? What you know, you can literally have just anything airdrop to you. Um, and I like asking those questions and sometimes I get a little bit like, oh, do they, do the players really need to know this? But if, if you can answer that question in an interesting way, um, it, it can lead to interesting moments. And I'm thinking about cargo, especially the, the economics of transit. And um, I just had another writer come up with a um, a, a, a mission where the explorers have to explore, uh, uh, retrieve some stolen cargo. But that cargo itself is something more than what what it's supposed to be, which they they classified as molasses, but it's definitely not molasses. So, so what when it comes to um the full well, what's your timeline look like when it comes to getting the core the rule book for um cloud runner which for getting it on on cloud crowdfunding august right august now. i um yeah originally it was going to be july but what has happened is just that some life stuff came up as it does um, yeah but the good news is is i'm relatively close to the finish line in terms of getting that stuff created so it's just a few tweaks and it'll be good to go. I just, I, I did do kind of a little bit of work in advance of like making sure the infrastructure is in place just so that I'm not going in and, you know, figuring it all out as I go along. I have at least a little bit of advanced planning to kind of familiarize myself with the process. I was very careful to like make sure that I invested in things like a thermal printer and a, um, and a scale as well. I, I was thinking about, you know, I'm going to be shipping out copies um, and asking questions about logistics and what I'm going to need. And um, because I will tell you, I think it's, it's vastly underestimated just how much of a process and, and you have to kind of learn it, you know, through trial and error, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, what happens when I actually have to put a book into production? I, I remember I put, I did kind of a couple of iterations. I did a beta early on, then a revised. And, you know, during that time I was, I was asking questions about how long is this going to take to print? How long is it actually going to be until I find something like a, I get an additional copy or something like that. Um, and then asking questions about, um, you know, the rest of the infrastructure and having that infrastructure there ready to go you know, is super important because otherwise that's something that I'm going to have to be, you know, worrying about later down the line. And I don't want to do that. I want to have all my ducks in a row beforehand, at least if I can. So, I mean, it sounds like you're definitely going to, you've got a very DIY uh, operation set up, which is, it's kind of, it's fun. You know, it re- when it comes to, you know, getting RPGs, it really, there's a lot of good, it is good to see, you know, that kind of independent spirit. Um, as stressful as it can be for the person making it, you know, <laughs> um, 
But uh, so what the campaign you already have, obviously you have this sort of short little blurb. You have this uh, Explorer's Guide to Escatus. Uh, what's what's the full rule book going to look like? You're going to see a far more in-depth description of the world. You're going to see, you know, more islands. You're going to see diff- different factions as well. I it, It's been a while since I wrote Explorer's Guide, and I'm pretty sure that it doesn't go into detail about things like um, Forgotten Star, which is kind of the, these rogue explorers who kind of flaunt guild regulations, and they're just like, well, we're just going to go and take what we want. And Neuron, which is kind of this dark academy that pursues knowledge at all costs, regardless of ethics. Um, and it, a lot of those end up creating a lot of conflict in terms of the ongoing, you know, narrative as well as kind of more about the Rayburn family and their structure though. um, There won't be, I don't want to set it up too much because most of what the internals of the Rayburn family will be saved for a supplement. Um, But yes, there's, there's plenty more where that came from. Um, There's also going to be things like, What's the common tech like, you know, um, rules about purchasing airships, um, more about kind of what's in the sky. Those are things that that you're going to run into. It, it is far more in depth. You, are, you also see because I know Explorer's Guide to Escatus has Pillar of Solitude in it. And you're going to see there's a follow up to it called The Watchful Eye. Um, and then there's a third one called Toymaker. Um, I'm actually quite proud of Toymaker and Toymaker especially is kind of one of the other things I like about fate is that a conflict doesn't necessarily need to be combat. And in fate, I was able to model a situation where you kind of have this conflict with a villain who you cannot fight physically. Um, this is also another thing that Thanks again for listening to all our new guys The Manimental's Tabletop Talk Show where As always we are fueled by Found a, um, Familiar Coffee Company You know a masquerade ball Use the code Fandom To get 15% off your entire order And if you want Give us a little shout out on iTunes Or Podchase or wherever you're listening And Give us a 5 star review Really helps a lot Thank you so much and happy rolling Messing with your the other thing, the other elements in play, like the catering. There's a there's a hungry urchin who comes in. So you kind of have this almost stealth sandbox experience where you go in and you know it's a, it's something that I really like that that Fakor is able to do, um, which would probably be a lot more difficult to do in a in, in something like fifth edition um but i love moments like those and in fact there's there's an entire faction in, in the rule book that is kind of set up to do most of those that's golden pick because they're they're a trait consortium they're not afraid of using violence mm-hmm. there's there's an assassin in there but 
most of who you're going to be dealing with are lobbyists and propagandists, and I really like the fact that I can do that, where I can have kind of these characters come in, and yeah, where they could, you know, they could take over a town and, um, and spread rumors about people, and that can be represented mechanically in a way that, um, that creates drama for the players. So it sounds like it's going to be a really fun hybrid of a book that's set up for world building and giving you a toolbox to create stories, but also have a lot of opportunity to just dive right into stories that, you, that are coming written. Yeah, and that was kind of... That decision was informed by the fact that... Um, I noticed that when people run fake... One of the problems that I do see is that if you run fate out of the box without any modifications, you'll get something that's functional, but it may not be tuned to what you need it to do. And I also wanted to give people kind of a taste of the system in a way that is, it's, it's a lot easier to approach. Now, obviously there are fate worlds, but they haven't taken off in quite the same way. And I thought, okay, well, let's let's give them their own toolkit for telling stories, but let's give them like a, a handful of pre-written things to just give them an idea of like what a story can look like in this universe. Yeah. And so are you um are you writing are you writing most of the stories or do you have a do you have other people writing stuff uh, with the book? So I've written um, I wrote Pillar of Solitude. Mm -hmm. I also wrote Watchful Eye and I wrote Toymaker. Um, Draconic, uh, Nick Johnson, he wrote um, Classified Cargo. I would actually like um, one more writer to, you know, write a fifth scenario, but I'm, I'm talking to people right now. I don't have a, a an exact name but that's one of like i want to have like five and two written by other writers because i just kind of because i want to see what people do with that universe i think it's just a lot of fun and what i when i see other people being inspired by cloud runner which is something that i haven't seen with like work that i've previously done like cloud runner is a property that has directly inspired some people that I know where they, they start drawing their characters and um, they, you know, we were talking about how one of my, you know, that, that one musician player, um, his character ends up having a bucket on his head and we're like, yeah, well, let's put that into like whatever we do next. And um and we're going to do some artwork of that, of that character. Yeah. He's going to have a bucket on his head, which I think is going to be funny. But um, I think about that a lot. I think about, there's something to be said about certain properties and their ability to inspire people. And I think that if you can make something that does do that, that makes people not just excited to play it, but excited to kind of create around it. Um that same player is actually composing the original soundtrack, you know, and he, and the setting does inspire him when he writes the music. And um, it's, again, it's something that kind of arose from just the general idea of um, 
of what inspires me and the idea of, you know, the airship, the flight, you know, the absolute freedom of exploring the sky, you know, that was very inspiring. And no doubt I'm not the only one inspired by that image. So I really lucked out in a way that I did not anticipate. And I, you know, I'm glad that it does bring inspiration to people. That's great. And that's a really good, I always love hearing that um, because that's, that's kind of at the core when it comes to these tabletop RPG things is that, uh, you know, obviously when you write a novel and stuff, um, you want to inspire people uh, and, and help them, you know, feel things. But with a tabletop project like this, you want to inspire them because you kind of have to inspire them because they have to be able to create, they have to be able to create stories. And, you know, I sometimes think it's a little bit more rewarding almost because you're getting to participate hundred percent together in creating a story in, in some ways. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think, and I think there's something to be said for, you know, embracing kind of that idea. And I, I do think that, I think that part of it actually comes from some background that I have in terms of um, before I went into kind of writing, I wanted to do animation and I learned a lot about how do you create appealing characters? How do you make something that, you know, that interests people? Um, And I do think it is something about, there's something to be said about a lot of people know what, you know, know what they like, Mm -hmm. but if you can, if you can take the extra step and know what you like and, that's another thing that other people like. And it's another thing that gets other people to, to, to kind of build on that momentum. You have something powerful there. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. And I am absolutely excited to engage with Escatus and learn more when the, uh, when the Kickstarter drops in this, this August. Um, so if we want to follow, if we want, if we want to follow you along, uh, on your, you know, your design adventures or just keep track of what you're up to, uh, where can we find you online? So you can find me on Twitter at DG cloud runner. Um, you can also follow, um, silver lantern games, um, at, at uh, silverlanterngames.com. I also do have a uh, Discord server and I will um, link it to you. I think that's probably going to be where um, where I'm going to be posting most of my stuff. Um, I'm also working on an actual play called Skybound and that will be something I put together relatively soon. So... I suspect that, yeah, it's between the Twitter and the Discord, um, plus the the website. And I'm going to be doing some major revisions to the website relatively soon because of the of the shift. But yeah, that's what I have available. Well, uh, I'll of course put links down below to all of that, as well as to you know the stuff in DriveThru RPG that you already have up, so people can get a little taste of Escatus uh, and your other design work. But thank you so much for 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 coming on the sh- on 
the show to talk about your process and and the new and the new game. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we will definitely have to keep in touch, and we'll be following along the the adventures in Escadas as they go.